0: Hi everybody, it's Michael Angelo Caruso. I'm on with Dean Roars today. How are you, Dean?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Michael. And yourself.
0: I'm great, thanks. I'm so grateful for this chance to catch up with you. You've you've done some very interesting things in your life, and I think our, our viewers and listeners will be very interested. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody that if you're watching on YouTube, we always like your likes and your comments and your enthusiasm for the channel. Let us know what's working for you and we'll get you more of the same. Uh, I also want to encourage you, if you are uh, doing any kind of speaking or presenting, to join my Present Like a Pro group on Facebook. Uh, Dean is with me today because she does a fair amount of speaking for an organization called Rotary International. In fact, she is a past vice president of the greatest service organization in the history of the world. Thank She's you. with us today from, is it Vancouver, British Columbia, yeah?
1: That's correct.
0: And uh, Beautiful,
1: sunny British Columbia.
0: Well, good for you. you. You know, it's it's sunny somewhere, as we say, in Michigan this time of the year.
1: Well, I'll make you envious by saying it's 17 degrees out, and it's absolutely magnificent.
0: That's 17 Celsius ice. Celsius, yes. Okay. Yes, <laughs> Very good. yes, uh, uh, So for everybody that's tuned in... Uh, Rotary is uh, one of the best and largest service organizations ever to be on the planet. We have about, a, and I say we because I'm a proud member as well, we have about 1.2 million members worldwide. And I mentioned that because I want you to know that that Dean is at the top of the triangle for this great organization. She's also done some interesting things during her career, and we're going to talk about all this stuff uh, as we move forward. A little uh, Preemptory uh, conversation here about this uh, current condition that the world is in, because I think it's a nice theme for our conversation today, Dean, that the world is indeed getting smaller. And nothing has illustrated that more effectively than the recent COVID 19 crisis, which we are about, I don't know, depending on who you talk to, a third, a third of the way into it in the United States. You and I have talked about how certain parts of the world haven't even started their, their journey through COVID 19. You have a daughter uh, in healthcare. Tell me what you told me before, the, uh, before we turn the camera on today.
1: So my daughter is a respiratory therapist, but she's also doing her PhD, and her thesis is on lung damage because of inflammation, And disease. In addition to that, she has been head of a research team for the last five years, working with a a commercial organization in the production and design of a new style of respirator. So she has been pulled onto a COVID task force. And some of the predictions of this international team are that this we're in for the long haul. This is only the first wave that's hitting us. The next wave will hit us really badly in the fall. Some of the models are saying it's going to be bigger than this current wave. But um, until we have a vaccine we are going to have to live with the virus. It's going to stay with us permanently. Heat will not damage it. Moisture doesn't damage it. So even though it gets hot in summer and humid in summer, it's still going to continue. It's not like the flu that will ebb and flow.
0: Yeah, and you come from a healthcare background, correct? That's correct, yes. Way, way back. Yep. How would you describe your career? What what did you do for most of your career?
1: (laughs) Well, I like to say to myself, people who ask me that I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. I I left school when I was 15. Um, I graduated from school at 15 and was sent to university in South Africa. At that stage, we were living in Zambia. And it was a very, very different culture. I wanted to do medicine. But my father decided and my headmaster decided, no, that wasn't a good career for a woman, And they pushed me into doing a BSc biochemistry. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I graduated at 19. And I literally then ran away from home because I then went nursing. And um, I had to find something where I, I could earn some funds but still work in the healthcare. And it was a fascinating time for me. But the reality is that the number of years that I spent studying in the nursing field was way more than it ever would have been if I'd done the medical field. So yeah, yeah an interesting time.
0: How did you graduate? High, did you say high school by age 15? Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you really one of those freaky smart people?
1: No, I just, I just was one of those people that didn't find school difficult.
0: Dean, Let's you graduated put that college way. by age 19. Yep. That's freaky smart. <laughs>
1: Not really. No, I I actually have um, three degrees. I have my BSc biochemistry and I try and do something different every 10 years. You have to challenge yourself every 10 years and take yourself completely out of your comfort zone. So I guess um, that was mm, at 30, I had my family married and had my family. At 40, I did a degree in uh, uh, my BA fine arts, majoring in sculpture of all things. I wanted to be the best painter in the world, but my, my lecturers looked at me and said, oh, you're far, far better, because I, I, I was doing ceramics at that stage. So I guess I had the tactile feel for something which was more three-dimensional. So I graduated with honors in, in, uh, in sculpture and never did anything with it other than my ceramics. And then when I was um, 60, Um, At 50, we emigrated. We emigrated from Africa to Canada. At 60, I did my degree in nature conservation and wildlife management. Because that was my dream as a child to be one of the great big African game rangers.
0: Back to the egg.
1: You got it. You got it. So I gave myself that gift when I turned 60 and I did my degree. And then I had to go to Africa and do the practical in the bush. And that was fascinating, because I was way, way, way too old to be doing all of those physical things. Yeah. But anyway, it, it was a wonderful experience.
0: Well, then, I'm sure you're going to be around for a while. But what a wonderful life and all these this pastiche of, of experiences that you've had. You know, people have become uh, overtly sentimental here during the slowdown, spending a lot of time listening to music, watching old movies and that sort of thing. And I was thinking the other day about uh, a musician by the name of Carol King. You know Carol yes, King, of course, of course. And her big, biggest-selling album, I think, was called Tapestry. And a yeah. tapestry, of course, is this uh, this wall covering that goes and, and, and it's magnificent. It usually um, is a pretty large piece, and the thread of that tapestry moves through all these little patterns and colors and the weave all the way to the end. And that's Boys. kind of what your life Boys. has been, it's been this yep. wonderful tapestry. All these countries and uh, programs that you've been in and organizations that you've served in and all these great people that you've met. Um, uh, I can't wait to to ask you some questions about different aspects of it. Um, Let's talk about a bit more about Rotary um, so people understand. Uh, The number changes from time to time. but For our purposes today, we can say there are 35,000, 36,000 clubs worldwide. Mm -hmm. Which Rotary club do you belong to?
1: I belong to the Rotary Club of Langley Central. We're mm-hmm. a club that's more than 50 years old. We're, uh, we're about 58 members. It's what we would call a legacy club. It's okay. made up more of older members, more mature members, people that have been in Rotary for a fairly long time. It's yeah. done in a very traditional style. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a great club, full of yeah. energy, quite sacrilegious at times.
0: Right? And, and of course good. we know each other through Rotary. I belong to the Troy Rotary Club here in Michigan. We are a very immature club.
1: I love that, I wish we were. I wish we were.
0: We need, a, I'm just we kidding. need to combine. I'm yeah. just kidding. We, we, uh, all clubs have their own personalities, as you know. Uh, but I mention this because anybody that's watching, of course, there, there's a Rotary Club near you. And if you're interested yes. in, at some point in creating a, more of a tapestry for your life, where you have more interesting experiences, I will tell you, and I don't need, I'm not telling Dean, I'm telling listeners, that, um, that joining Rotary enriched my life in ways I could never predict because I was meeting people I wouldn't normally hang around with. And at first I was like, is this the place for me? But then been, I became so grateful for those relationships and of course Rotary has a, a lot of uh, experiences waiting for you outside the club as well. Um, When did you join Rotary?
1: I joined, okay, now now, now you're taking me back to the day I was born. I was born into Rotary. My father was a Rotarian and my mother was the queen of what was then Rotary Anne's, right? Sure. And I must admit, growing up in a Rotary family, I hated Rotary with a passion. I, I served more cups of tea than you have ever drunk in your whole life combined, purely and simply because I was always voluntold by my parents to come and help with their projects and things. And then what did I do? I married a vegetarian, So I didn't have much of an option. You shouldn't but have done that. <laughs> when women were allowed after the court case in California, because it took a Supreme Court case to actually permit a woman to join Rotary, which is sort of one of the dark ages of Rotary. It was in 1989. I joined Rotary on the 1st of July, 1989. But I honestly cannot say that I became a true Rotarian until about the year 2000. There's a difference between being a member of a Rotary Club and then having your passion button pushed. And actually, understanding what Rotary is about.
0: What happened in two thousand that, that? Well, them...
1: that's when I went off to Africa and I did my adventures
0: okay. in
1: the bush and became the African game ranger, okay. and um, found found a community that had the most horrendous beliefs that if um if a man was intimate with an underage girl, he was protected from AIDS. So the rape incident within that community was huge no little girl was safe and I saw a mother's tears one day because she didn't know if her daughter was going to be safe Mm. and um, it 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 absolutely changes you when you suddenly realize oh my gosh I have a knowledge of this but what am I going to do about it but then you think to yourself I'm only one person how do I challenge a community and a belief like this? Right. And I came home to my Rotary Club, and I spoke to my Rotarians. And oh my gosh, they banded together, they lifted me up. And we've now built four huge schools in that area. Little girls are safe in boarding schools. We've changed the belief in a community. Yeah, it's and it's, it's tremendous. I didn't do it. Rotary did it. But... It needed a task force of people coming together and a spirit, and that's Rotary.
0: Uh, Preview of coming attractions, everybody. Dean was involved with a um, first-time world-changing event in South Africa some time ago, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's going to be the reason most people dial into this because of the way I'm going to title it on YouTube and that sort of thing. But I wanted to provide some context because the story by itself, without the background of who you are as a person, or, or maybe even how that's helped shape you as a person, I think we have to talk about all that stuff first. One of the other themes that seems to be emerging in our little convo today is this idea of the world getting smaller um, and us living more as a community and less like islands. So you already talked about this idea of going back to Africa, seeing the world as differently You're not alone anymore. You can tap into the power of this large service organization called Rotary and get things done and help young girls on the other side of the planet. All that's fantastic. I'm noticing uh, the weather's turned outside here. It's only about 6.30 p.m. in Michigan, but it looks like the sun has set. And here you are in Canada, so it's daytime for you, nighttime for me. And I know that one of the other things that you're doing now for Rotary is that you're special representative to uh, Rotary in Russia. Correct. And the, uh, the gist of that is we're trying to get Rotary going in Russia, because although Rotary is in uh, many, many countries, more countries than the United Nations, we're missing from China, we're missing from Russia, we're missing from a few key countries. Tell us about your activity at, What triggered this in my mind is that you said that you get on the phone at 11 o'clock at night, and you're on sometimes till three in the morning because of the time differential. First of all, why isn't Rotary in Russia? Answer that question for us.
1: Well, they actually have. They've been in Russia for a very long time. They've been in there for more than 50 years. But if you think of the size of Russia and you think of the population of Russia, it's 11 time zones. I mean, people really, it's the biggest country in the world. Yeah. But they only have about 1,000 Rotarians in 79 clubs. And it's because, I think, um, communism left a culture which was not innate with vol- volunteerism. Volunteerism is not part of, a, of the communistic culture. Things are done as a collective, but volunteerism, doing something for nothing and receiving nothing back for it, is something which um, is a little bit different. In the other area, it is Rotary is considered a Western organization, an American organization, because we are centered out of Evanston near Chicago. So those were two of the factors which were limiting. So there's a distrust of the Western side and there's the lack of volunteerism. Thirdly, in Rotary, we draw our membership from you could say the upper third of society things have changed a little bit and we are now involving far more um social levels of people but in 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 the past it was people of influence people with money people who could make things happen in a way it wasn't just a hands-on and in russia we draw our membership from the middle third of society because you kind of don't really want the oligarchs and those kind of people to be Rotarians. So it's a different society. It's, uh, money's different. You, you, have, you have the upper, the upper class, uh, influential, uh, uh, financially sound people, but an average doctor earns less than what um, our minimum wage is in this country. Oh. So it's, it's quite dramatic. It's quite dramatic. So
0: let's back this up for a second. Did, uh, just, again, perspective in context. You said that in Russia, it tends to be the middle third of society that joins Rotary. And, and did, you, did you say something about the rest of the world? Where it, what, third is, what third of the uh, public um, are pulling Rotary from?
1: Well, it was always business and community leaders.
0: The top it was third.
1: Always, it was the top
0: third. Do yes. you think it still is the top third?
1: No, not anymore. Things have is, changed. Is it Things the middle third? I think from both in more ways than okay. one. Okay. And we, we mustn't forget about the power of our recently retired affluent societies. Yeah. So many people can retire at an early age and now want to do humanitarian service. And I think that's a huge force that's helping us in Rotary at this time. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So back to the countries that are not yet uh, uh, fully immersed. That do in not lottery. accept
1: Rotary. Yes. They that don't trust,
0: trust Countries? Them. Is that true?
1: Well, it's countries like, if you think they're mostly countries that are influenced by communism.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you have Cuba. You have Vietnam. You have China, Right. You yeah. have those sort of countries are closed countries. North we Korea. are not in countries if a country will not allow us in.
0: North so Korea? So it is a
1: political decision. North Korea, no, nope, but we are strong in South Korea. So
0: Vietnam is still communist, correct? Correct. Are we in Vietnam? Nope. Okay. And the reason I wanted to clarify that is because you said something very powerful. You said that, You said that these people, mostly in communist countries, they're not familiar with the concept of doing something for nothing. Correct. Is that because most of the things that are done for them...
1: They get uh, it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you it, know, it's handed over. How they yeah. think yeah.
0: about volunteerism.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really quite interesting. The yeah. other thing is, when, in, in developing Rotary in Russia, we are trying to do it in a very sort of... Um, Uh, Oh, gosh, what's the word? Um, You know, instead of having a governor or a Tsar or a Tsarina or the head of the National Party or whatever it is, we are running the district with a board of of directors. So in a very democratic process. And that has been really interesting to bring together people of influence in Russia and to sit them together around a table as a board of directors and have them understand that they have the right to speak and vote freely and not just listen to the chair and have the chair dictate to them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's such a learning experience. It's truly yeah. amazing.
0: Good for you. you got the right person on the job. That's you.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if they always think so because they call me Baba Yaga. Now, Baba Yaga is a fairy book character. She's a witch and she lives in a house which runs around on chicken legs she l- flies through the air in a mortar and she carries a pestle pestle right so she either beats you up and grinds you down with a pestle or else she promotes you if she likes you so it's
0: uh, not you exactly can I see, a right-handed compass is it
1: <laughs> so in some ways it's complimentary because they do listen when i speak so
0: yeah <laughs> let's talk about uh, a, a very important moment um, In the world, I assume it was, I've seen an article where you were interviewed about this, is what gave me the idea to ask you to do this interview today, and thank you very much. You were in South Africa working in the same healthcare facility as Dr. Christian Barnard, who some people may recognize as a pioneer in open heart surgery.
1: Heart transplants, yes. Heart transplants.
0: Because this was the first, you were involved with the first open heart transplant of a person who survived, right? Correct. Correct. There was
1: one previous surgery in the U.S., but the patient did not leave the OR. Yeah. Um, In our case, when we had the very first um, surgery that we did, um, the patient lived uh, about 15, 17 days. He he was a last-ditch candidate. He probably would have died within 24 hours if we had not given him the new heart on that particular day. So he was not the ideal candidate in any means. But as a first time on a human, I guess, you know, it's a last-ditch resort. You're prepared to take that chance.
0: Yeah, what a fascinating um, moment in history. And as I recall from the article, you weren't actually supposed to be in the room. Something happened that pulled you in. Can you tell that story? Well,
1: I was a very lowly, lowly uh, person on the totem pole, I just happened to be in the OR um, rotational calendar at that stage and had been in, in peripherally involved with a heart transplant team on some of the, the experimental work that was done previously and, and so on. And I worked in the cardiac unit. So that is why um, I was on rotation that particular day. And you honestly don't plan for something like that because you're waiting for a donor. And this was a young woman who was killed in a motor car accident. And they, well, she was so brain dead anyway. So they um, they, they, they had, uh, the family were willing to donate her heart. So there was no choice as to a time or a date. And um, I just got the phone call very early that morning saying, it. in fact, it was a knock on my door because I was living in the nurse's home. And um, it was, come on, come on, it's all goes. We are doing a transplant today and you need to bring your services. So I was just the low person on the totem pole. I ran in and out. I fetched things. I wiped doctor's brows. I brought in swabs. I counted swabs. I, I was not physically part of that team standing at the table, but I was in the OR that day. And is there it an, was a name uh, for the
0: person who does that? Do they is it a fancy name or is it just a citizen? Uh, you
1: just you just the swab nurse or the runner or whatever they want to call you. So mm-hmm. yeah. So people keep thinking that it was such a uh, you know momentous job that I did, but no, I didn't. I just did what I was told to do that day. You were
0: in the room, man.
1: <laughs> you got it.
0: Take us inside the
1: room. Take us inside
0: the room. Everybody must have known this was a. Uh, I mean, we think of open-heart surgery now or transplants as uh, almost routine. Common, I don't know that's common true. knowledge,
1: yep. yep. Okay,
0: so back then, this is, this is what? Everybody goes in, this is a, another, another series, another in a series of experiments, and this guy's probably not going to make it anyway. Yep. But nobody yep. knew that it was going to be successful.
1: Well, Christian Barnard himself was an, a tremendous innovator. He, he was a visionary. But he was also a man of huge courage, uh, but a very aggressive character as well. I mean, if he was going to do something, he was going to do it. He was not always a very nice person, Mm -hmm. but you needed that strength. I think that strength to be able, your strength of commitment within this to 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 challenge yourself in something like this. He had an incredible group of people working with him. And sometimes his brother, Marius Barnard does not get the respect or the time of day that he needs. But Marius was the steady, calm, cool one. Um, Prof was very volatile. Um, He would explode. He would shout. He would scream. He would throw his instruments around in the OR. But Marius was the cool, calming, steadying influence that was kept Marius that team on his open place. Marius
0: heart surgeon? Yes. A heart he surgeon was a
1: cardiac problems. surgeon working alongside his brother, yes.
0: Okay.
1: Yes. And then the fascinating thing about this, at the university, where they were doing the study and the research, uh, first on, on baboons, on you know monkeys and apes and things like that, but on the baboons, uh, they had a laboratory technician an African gentleman. And he actually trained the heart surgeons eventually because he designed instruments, he designed techniques. And this is a completely unschooled, untrained man. Hmm. He was amazing. He was amazing. That transplant happened because of the work that he did. Not only the professor and his team, but what that man did as well. And he does not get any... Any recognition
0: for those? Things. Where did this uh, Where did this procedure, this surgery, take place? At Skier
1: Hospital in Cape Town.
0: It's called University Hospital.
1: Skier, which means a large sh- barn, in Dutch. Okay. Krutaskier Hospital.
0: Dutch is the native language of South Africa, correct?
1: Well, it's a Dutch derivative. It's called Afrikaans. Yes.
0: Afrikaans. Yeah. So the world is getting smaller. I I come to yes. Rotary through a group study exchange to a place called South Africa, and visited Cape Town. Um, and this this open this uh, heart transplant uh, that, that happened in it? one little place in the world has now been performed all over the globe. Um, right. And I think it's worth mentioning as we wrap up our interview today that that life is not just science, but life is a, is a Is about making the most of iterative experiences. So they they try a bunch of heart transplants and nobody lives. And you guys do it in Cape Town on that day. And the guy fortunately lived for three weeks.
1: That's correct. And the next one lived for much longer. And the next one much longer than that. Because that's when they started battling the rejection, the physical rejection of the foreign
0: Body it, in the know, body. You know, fine tune yeah. the regime and that sort yes, of thing. Yes, they did.
1: The medications and the rejection, um, you know, uh, uh, treatment that they needed to do. So, yeah, interesting times. Interesting bringing
0: times. Bringing our conversation full circle. Here we are muscling our way and sometimes blindly finding our way through our first uh, COVID. Nope, the novel coronavirus, novel meaning new, but it's kind of a dress rehearsal for the next time around. You know, I, I, I've told a lot of people yeah. we're very fortunate that this this has been kind of a mild illness. It's, it's sad that so many people are losing their lives and, and being negatively impacted, but it's not like it was flesh-eating disease. Imagine if it was a, a worse thing with an even higher fatality rate. But this is going to help us get ready for next time.
1: Well, we've had the dress rehearsals with Ebola, with yep. N1H1. N1H1 killed far more people than the world is even aware of. And uh, now with, um, with COVID. With, with the yeah. coronavirus. I mean, it's, it's something that's a way of life. We are just too many people in a very, very polluted planet. And uh, our, uh, our world is different. We have to live in a different way.
0: Well, we're fortunate to have people like you uh, influencing uh, influencing industry, influencing Service influencing uh, across continents. We're, I'm, I'm so glad to know you and so proud to know you.
1: No, Michael, it's my privilege. It honestly is. I always feel so blessed. Who ever thought that this old dame from Africa, right, would be able to do the things that she is doing in life? You know, to be able to sit with presidents of countries and talk with them, to meet people like Putin, like 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 Justin Trudeau, like you know Donald Trump, like all of those guys ever would have thought I, I sometimes think oh my gosh if my parents could see me now they'd never believe this rebel child of theirs is doing what she's doing but you know what Rotary showed me the way and that's been an amazing experience
0: well I'm going to put links to uh, some things that we've talked about in what we call the show notes of the, the YouTube video including uh, links to rotary.org so that uh, people can learn more about this great organization and, and maybe sign up for it and And we'll put them to work just like we put you to work so many years ago. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being on with us today. And uh, thank you for watching, everybody. We'll see you uh, uh, in the future. And if you want to see more of these new videos coming up, just remember to like this channel and subscribe. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thank you, and goodbye.